Would you turn with me in the scriptures to Jeremiah chapter 50? Jeremiah chapter 50, and it'd be really helpful for you to have your Bibles open to chapter 50 and 51, which is our focus for this morning. Chapter 50 is 46 verses. Chapter 51 is 64 verses. We're not going to read them all. That's a little much. So we'll read part of it, beginning in chapter 50, and then we'll skip to the very, very end of the book. But before we open God's Word, let's pray together. Father in heaven, once again we hear your word to the nations through the prophet Jeremiah. Tough words. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding and work in us with your Holy Spirit. Help us, in spite of these words, to see something of your plan of salvation in Christ Jesus. And we pray, O Lord, that we may go from here convicted, living for you, our Lord and our King. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the word the Lord spoke through Jeremiah the prophet concerning Babylon and the land of the Babylonians. Chapter 50, verse 2. Announce and proclaim among the nations. Lift up a banner and proclaim it. Keep nothing back, but say, Babylon will be captured. Bel will be put to shame. Marduk filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame, her idols filled with terror. A nation from the north will attack her and lay waste her land. No one will live in it, both men and animals will flee away. In those days, at that time, declares the Lord, the people of Israel, the people of Judah, together will go in tears to seek the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Zion and turn their faces toward it. They will come and bind themselves to the Lord in an everlasting covenant that will not be forgotten. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place. Whoever found them devoured them. Their enemies said, We are not guilty, for they sinned against the Lord, their true pasture, the Lord, the hope of their fathers. Flee out of Babylon. Leave the land of the Babylonians and be like the goats that lead the flock. For I will stir up and bring against the Babylon an alliance of great nations from the land of the north. They will take up their positions against her, and from the north she will be captured. Their arrows will be like skilled warriors who do not return empty-handed. So Babylonia will be plundered. All who plunder her will have their fill, declares the Lord. Because you rejoice and are glad, you who pillage my inheritance, because you frolic like a heifer threshing grain and neigh like stallions, your mother will be greatly ashamed. She, will, she who gave you birth will be disgraced. She'll be the least of the nations, a wilderness, a dry land, a desert. Because of the Lord's anger, she will not be inhabited, but will be completely desolate. All who pass Babylon will be horrified and scoff because of her wounds. 
Take up your positions around Babylon, all who draw the bow. Shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. Shout against her on every side. She surrenders, her towers fall, her walls are torn down. This is the vengeance of the Lord. Take vengeance on her. Do to her as she has done to others. Cut off from Babylon the sower and the reaper with his sickle at harvest. Because of the sword of the oppressor, let everyone turn to his own people. Let everyone flee to his own land. Israel is a scattered flock that lions have chased away. The first to devour him was the king of Assyria. The last to crush his bones was Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will punish the king of Babylon and his land as I punish the king of Assyria. But I will bring Israel back to his own pasture, and he will graze on Carmel and Bashan. His appetite will be satisfied on the hills of Ephraim and Gilead. In those days at that time, declares the Lord, search will be made for Israel's guilt, but there will be none. And for the sins of Judah, but none will be found. For I will forgive the remnant I spare. The word of the Lord. Then if you flip to the very end, it, it carries on. You get the picture. And the, 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 the imagery is there of an incredible destruction of Babylon. And then if you go to the very end of chapter 51. <clears throat> scroll has been given to Zerariah, who is to speak in Babylon the words of chapters 50 and 51, speak to the people of Babylon. And then in verse 62, we read these words. Then say, O Lord, you have said you will destroy this place so that neither man nor animal will live in it. It will be desolate forever. When you finish reading this scroll, tie a stone to it, throw it into the Euphrates, and then say, so will Babylon sink to rise no more because of the disaster I will bring upon her, and her people will fall. And then it says the words of Jeremiah end here. But we have one more chapter, and we'll deal with that next week. Brothers and sisters in Christ, for some time now I have known that I was going to preach this Sunday morning and that the assignment was to preach on Jeremiah 50 and 51 while Pastor John was happily on his honeymoon. And it's a chapter that deals with an oracle or a message to Babylon. It's the second message on the word of the Lord to the nations since Pastor Amanda dealt with the word of the Lord to Egypt last week. And as Pastor Amanda and I talked together about these final chapters of Jeremiah, both of us recognize that these are tough passages of Scripture to preach on. Actually, even tougher passages for worship teams to find songs that might fit the theme. We also noted that these are tough passages because the imagery presented in them is really not understood by us in our modern context. And these are tough passages that make us one, some of us wonder if there's anything practical that we can take home with us. 
These seem to, be, seem to be simply history lessons, and yet these passages do, in a big way, challenge our worldview and suggest to us that there is a whole lot more to this world than just the kingdoms and powers and nations that exist today but are gone tomorrow. These are tough passages because they speak about judgment and punishment and intolerance. These passages speak about the might and the power of the Lord, the God of Israel, and they make fun, if you will, of every other supposed God. These are tough passages because, let's face it, we're uncomfortable when the Lord talks about what he will do to those who stand opposed to him. That certainly doesn't seem to fit anybody's, any person's, or many a person's concept of the Christian faith today. Modern day Christianity, let's face it, is a lot about grace and peace and love and a God who really wouldn't hurt a fly. All right, I'll say it. So much of modern Christianity is fluffy and sentimental and tolerant and friendly and neighborly and good and sweet and cuddly. Just think of how we celebrate Christmas. You get the idea. And the idea that God, who has a covenant with us and our children, which we saw reaffirmed this morning in the sacrament, is also a just and holy and righteous judge, is often lost on us. Let's face it, we really don't want a God who destroys, who punishes, who meets out judgment. We don't want a God who gets angry, wrath-filled about sin. We want a God who loves, who cares, whom we can call friend, who's there when we're there in our darkest moments. And yet, here we have it, Jeremiah 50 and 51, a message from the living God of Israel to Babylon, not a happy message by any stretch of the imagination, through Jeremiah, God's anointed prophet to the nation. So what do we do with it? And how are we to understand it? You know, all the way through Babylon, all the way, all the way through these prophecies of Jeremiah, as I was thinking about the Babylonian Empire and its conquering ways, like with many an Old Testament story, I always try to picture what it might look like. If I could take a time machine and go back to those times and kind of see what it was like. I try to create an, an image in my mind of the time and of the armies and so forth. And when I thought about the Babylonians as depicted in this prophecy, I, I, I thought of the armies of the, the great white witch from the Narnia tales, or the seemingly invincible, endless armies of Mordor with their orcs and all, as depicted in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I thought of some of the scenes of huge armies filling valleys and landscapes in stories such as Hercules or the Game of Thrones and so forth. Many a writer depicts massive armies, and you've seen the pictures, massive armies 
armed to the teeth. And when they begin to move and begin to walk, the whole earth shakes. In the face of such an overwhelming power, one can only tremble and feel very, very small. What chance does anyone have against thousands of well-armed troops? Then as I, was, as I continued to try to get a handle on the Babylonians, I ran across one author, who this is a wonderful analogy, uh, who reminded me of an example from Star Trek. Uh, yes, I am a little bit of a Trekkie, probably shows my age, and I am a science fiction fan. But as he talked about Jeremiah and as he talked about Star Trek, he reminded me of a saying that came from a, quote, violent, unbeatable alien species known as the Borg, B-O-R-G. The Borg was a collective, and their standard greeting was, some of you can say it, Resistance is futile. He writes, King Nebuchadnezzar would have said the same thing. Anyone who resisted the armies of Babylon would certainly be destroyed. And in these final chapters of Jeremiah, we hear words of judgment and words about the near total annihilation of all the nations in the near Middle East by Babylon. Egypt, Edom, Ammon, Moab, the Philistines, and others, including Judah and the Jews. To resist Babylon was indeed futile. Even after some of the remaining exiles in Judah ran to Egypt, remember, for, uh, ran to Egypt for safety, Nebuchadnezzar marched the armies all the way from Babylon to Egypt and destroyed Egypt and destroyed them. In chapter 51, Babylon is referred to as a hammer slamming anything in its way. Resistance to Babylon is futile. <laughs> the analogy between the Borg and Babylon was uncanny. Like there didn't seem to be any negotiating with the Babylonians, so, said the author, there was no negotiating with the Borg. They don't negotiate. They just assimilate entire species and their technological distinctives into their own race for their own advancement. That's what they do. There is no bargaining. There are no deals. There is no successful defense against the Borg. They just take what they want and crush anyone who resists. When the Borg show up, the game is over. They always win, unquote. Just like Babylon of old. But then he goes on. Sorry for the Star Trek analogy, the Star Trek stories. If you want to see it, you can find it on YouTube. There is one occasion, however. There was one species that the Borg feared. Species 8472. Who writes these things? <laughs> it was the nature of species 8472 not to assimilate species, but to annihilate all species but their own. And they had the power to do it. They could eventually take over the entire universe and be the sole inhabitant of it all. So, when the crew of that Federation spaceship, starship Voyager 
saw dozens of giant Borg spaceships completely destroyed, their question to each other was, who is more powerful than the Borg? Who is able to defeat them? We thought the Borg were unstoppable. There came a day when the prophet Jeremiah proclaimed the word of the Lord concerning Babylon. Chapter 50, verse 2. Babylon will be captured. Bel, Babylon's chosen god, will be put to shame. Marduk, another of Babylon's gods, will be filled with terror. Her images will be put to shame. Her idols filled with terror. That's how the message to Babylon begins. Guess what? Babylon is not invincible. Babylon would fall and fail, and her gods, which are nothing and have no power, would also fail and fall. Shame and terror are the two words used to describe the reactions of the non-gods of Babylon. In the presence of the only living Lord and King of the nations, idols are ashamed that they dared their godly pretensions and terror fills them as they know, if they could even know, but they can't because they're nothing, but if they could, that they stand no chance against the Lord, the living Lord of Israel. And when the people of Judah saw the power of Babylon, their question to each other was, who is more powerful than Babylon? Who is able to defeat them? It seems to us they are unstoppable. Well, if Nebuchadnezzar's army is the Borg, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians is species 8472. The nation from the north was like species 8472, not looking to assimilate, but looking to totally destroy Chapter 50, verse 3, a nation from the north will attack her and lay waste her land. No one will live in it. Both men and animals will flee away. And you get these imageries throughout these chapters that there's going to be nothing left. And people are going to go walking past Babylon and they're going to say, that was an empire? There's just a little heap. There's nothing left. Interesting, throughout the prophecies of Jeremiah, we've come to understand that the Babylon, that Babylon was the people from the north. And they would come to carry out God's judgment and punishment of his people for their idolatry and rebellion. But now another nation from the north is coming to destroy Babylon and leave it helpless and completely wiped out. Chapter 50, verse 41, look, an army is coming from the north, a great nation, and many kings are being stirred up from the ends of the earth. They're armed with bows and spears. They're cruel and without mercy. And that new nation from the north was the Persian Empire. And the Lord also makes it very clear in these chapters as to why Babylon would be destroyed. Chapter 50, 24, Babylon opposed the Lord. Chapter 50, 29, she has defied the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Because of, the, because of Babylon's continued defiance of the Lord, the God of Israel, in spite of the fact that she carried out God's judgment in Israel, 
nonetheless would have to pay for what she did to God's people and pay the price for destroying the temple and pay the price for her obstinacy. Now that creates, I'm sure, all kinds of other questions in our mind, which also makes these tough passages to preach on. God used Babylon to judge the nations, and now Babylon itself will be judged. Allow me to go back to the Star Trek analogy for a moment and note that throughout the battle between the Borg and species 8472, two very powerful species, the crew of the lone starship Voyager, being very, feeling very small and powerless, were watching and seeking to survive. Their story was tied up in that cosmic battle but they were really helpless to do much about it. Now think of Babylon and the Medes and the Persians, that next great army from the north, in the midst of a battle between those two world powers of the day was a remnant of God's people, a remnant that had been told to live among the Babylonians, to plant gardens and to marry and so forth. And like the crew of that lone starship, Voyager, watching the battle between the Borg and species 8472, so the remnant of Israel was watching the battle shape up between the two earthly empires, and they must have felt incredibly small and powerless, certainly helpless to do anything about it. So put them there for a moment, watching all of this. The imagery in these two chapters is is colorful and vivid and filled with pictures that the people of the day would understand, but perhaps difficult for us to relate to. But one image that helps us understand something of what Babylon was and stood for and why it was judged by the Lord of all is in chapter 51, verse 7, where we read about how Babylon was like a golden cup making the earth drunk. Fascinating imagery. Babylon had a reputation. As one writer put it, quote, she was the epitome of pagan human achievement. She ruled the world and was the envy of the world. Babylon is put forth as an image of humanistic philosophy that stands against God at every point, unquote. So the image here in chapter 50 is one of Babylon, godless Babylon, making everyone around her think that her perspective on life was a good one and worth emulating. Folks, if you want life, if you want truth, if you want to have it good, this is how you live. You live like we do as Babylonians. And people fell for it. She made everyone drink her elixir and became just as and become just as humanistic, senseless and godless as she was. So like the Borg, she assimilated everyone she came into contact with and overwhelmed them with her godlessness. And then in a twist of irony, the book of Daniel tells us that one night King Belshazzar and his people are all literally drunk with wine when Darius, king of the Medes, suddenly shows up. Remember the story of the handwriting on the wall? Mani, Tekel, Paris. Mani, the Lord has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the scales and found wanting. 
Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. It says, Daniel 5, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. And this is what God said would happen to Babylon. Jeremiah 51, 57 prophesied 50 years before the events of Daniel 5, I will make her officials and her wise men drunk, her governors, her officers, and warriors as well. They will sleep forever and not awake, declares the king whose name is the Lord Almighty. The messenger to Babylon from Jeremiah was told to read the words of the prophecy to the Babylonians, and then once, once accomplished, once completed, he was told to tie a rock to the scroll, toss it into the river Euphrates. Like the scroll sank never to be retrieved, so Babylon would be destroyed never to be revived. And so it was that the Babylonian Empire came to an end. So it is, and so it has been throughout history. An empire rises, an empire falls. As it rises, many of them seem almost invincible. Certainly that's the way Babylon appeared throughout this book of the Bible and at that time in history. But it was not invincible. No earthly kingdom or power is invincible, no matter what they may happen to think of themselves. And when you study the scriptures, you come to see that Babylon is used as a representative of all those who stand opposed to the Lord and his kingdom. We run across Babel after the flood when the people rebelled against the command to fill the earth and instead build a tower on the plain of Shinar in order to remain together in Genesis 10. And according to Josephus, the Jewish historian, this rebellion was instigated by, instigated by Babel's king Nimrod who introduced paganism among the nations and the rejection of the Lord as creator and God. And if you know your Bible, you know that at the very end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we are again introduced to Babylon. Revelation 18, where the name Babylon appears at that point to refer to the Roman Empire, the ruling empire of the day that stood opposed to the church and stood opposed to God's kingdom. Revelation 18 says, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a loud voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. For all nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed immorality with her. The merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Babylon, an image of that which stands opposed to the kingdom of God, which is the only kingdom that lasts. And Babylon is destroyed. God announces judgment against it. She'll be completely wiped out. 
And there's one final note. Throughout Jeremiah 50 and 51, if you have your Bibles open, you can see that, are notes or asides, as it were, to Israel, to God's people. Chapter 50, verse 8, flee out of Babylon, leave the land of the Babylonians. Chapter 51, verse 6, flee from Babylon, run for your lives, do not be destroyed because of her sins. 51, verse 45, come out of her, my people, run for your lives, run from the fierce anger of the Lord. The message is one of direction and one of hope for Israel. If they stay true to the Lord their God and do not drink the intoxicating elixir of Egypt, if they do not succumb to Babylon's godless ways, there is a future for them because chapter 50, verse 34, their Redeemer is strong. The Lord Almighty is his name. The covenant God of Israel does not forget the covenant he made with his people in spite of the fact that they are in exile and told to live their lives away from the promised land all because of their disobedience. For God's covenant partners who stay true to his covenant, there is hope, there is a future, the Messiah is to come, Jesus, the Son of God, God himself. And so like Joseph did when confronted by Potiphar's wife, the Bible always encourages God's people to flee, to run away from all that which would cause us to sin and fall away from the Lord before we are swept away by his righteous anger. Like the crew of the starship wanted nothing to do with either the Borg or Species 8472 and instead get out of there and be safe. So the people of the Lord are encouraged to have nothing to do with godless sinful ways and be safe. Isaiah 52:11, quoting Isaiah 52:11, the apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church reminds them of an old biblical principle concerning the Christian life. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. In Christ Jesus, you are separate by definition. You are sacred. You are holy because I, the Lord, have given my life for you. And so as God's holy people, come stay separate from that which would contaminate and pollute and destroy. This is a tough portion of Scripture. But through it, we're reminded of the just judge, the Lord of all nations. He will come to judge the nations. And unlike Babylon and every other kingdom under the sun, there is a kingdom that lasts forever 
and there is a Redeemer, and there is life in his name, as we were reminded once again in the sacrament this morning. Know the Lord, our covenant God, and live. Live in his kingdom. Parents, tell your children. Amen. Father in heaven, we'll admit these are tough chapters and we don't get all of it at all. But thank you for the reminder once again that you are the just judge, the Lord of all the nations, the King of glory, our covenant God. And thank you, Lord, that we may know that you are faithful to all your promises and you never ever let us down and in Christ Jesus we are called to be your people we pray O Lord that we may live that way and respond to you with holy lives grant us your Holy Spirit we praise you Lord for this morning and for this time together hear our prayer in Jesus name Amen <clears throat>